This is an RNZ podcast. This is Media Watch. I'm Colin Peacock. After last weekend's huge nationwide rallies made headlines, we ask, do the media get Groundswell, the mother of all protest movements in New Zealand right now? Some say they're just farmers and friends who are a bit fed up, but others warn darkly about the far right in gumboots. Also, after those centenary celebrations for radio in New Zealand lately, some experts faced an awkward question or two. It's great to be here. I feel like you started the erosion of radio as a standalone medium. Oh my, there's a swinging accusation. But that guy actually reckons that spoken word audio, including radio, is on the up among the young at the expense of music. But first, the media frenzy sparked by the sudden, but not entirely unexpected fall, of Judith Collins as leader of the opposition. Last Thursday, while the National Party's dramas were preoccupying our news media, an umbrella group representing all their mutual interests created some surprising news of their own. The News Publishers Association asked the Commerce Commission for permission for New Zealand-owned media organisations to collectively bargain with Facebook and Google for payment for the local journalism that they use on their digital platforms. Now, this follows a bargaining code that was introduced in Australia that seems substantial but confidential sums paid to major news organisations across the Tasman under individual deals struck with those titans of tech. But that was only possible in Australia in the first place because their government forced the issue of the power imbalance between the global digital giants and Australian news businesses. And the government here hasn't so far shown any sign of wishing to confront that issue on the media's behalf. Hal Crawford is an Australian news executive who was the chief news officer at MediaWorks from 2016 until February last year. Effectively, he was the editor-in-chief at NewsHub. Now he's a media consultant back in Australia. He's also one of five local advisors to Meta, formerly known as Facebook, which earlier this month announced a modest set of initiatives to assist media companies here. Last weekend in the spin-off, Hal Crawford said the media landscape here is starting to resemble Australia's, where major media often take politically partisan stances and opposing editorial approaches to differentiate themselves. And next week here on Media Watch, you can hear why Hal Crawford thinks that and if we need to worry about that here in New Zealand. But this week, just before our media announced the intention to follow Australia's in getting money for journalism from Facebook and Google, I asked Hal Crawford if that was a good idea. I know that there are big problems with the digital platforms all around the world, not sufficiently contributing to the societies in which they operate. Um, But I don't subscribe to the view that Facebook is evil. I don't think New Zealand should go down the Australian path. I am very pro the idea of transparently creating a levy on the digital um, giants. So Facebook and Google, you know, and also shouldn't exclude other people, but they should be paying more and contributing more to the societies in which they operate. But why not hypothecate it to news? I mean, they carry, they distribute the news, news outlets dependent on Facebook to get the news. Well, we were just in a situation where there's absolutely no transparency uh, about how the money is flowing or why the money is flowing and what's it for. Um, There's an opportunity for some sort of um, distortion or corruption of uh, what those media companies are publishing there's the potential there if the um, so if, if the sums of money are significant. The important thing to know about the Australian situation and why I don't think it, it's a good precedent is that legislation has been created as a threat 
it has been enacted, but no one has been designated as being subject to that um, legislation. It hangs there as a threat uh, that forces Google and Facebook to do deals with news companies, deals that they would never do uh, if normal commercial rules just applied. You know, people will say, oh, that's because they're monopolies. And that could be true or it might not be true. It, it might be that the value that the news companies uh, put on their content is inflated from a point of view of a, of a digital platform. Basically, you've got a very non-commercial situation happening because of political muscle. Now, that leads to all kinds of weird distortions. For example, in Australia at the moment, the little publishers cannot get deals with Google and Facebook. Yeah, it's uneven, and isn't it? It's totally uneven. And, and what would you expect? Of course, Google and Facebook aren't going to do deals with these guys because they don't believe in the whole situation in the first place. And they're not commercial. They're not getting value. Um, so why would they bother doing deals with people who don't have the political muscle to bring the heat onto Facebook and Google? So New Zealand should not set up a system like that. Um, New Zealand should do it properly investigate what the uh, correct basis for an, an increased payment from um, Google and Facebook to consolidated revenue should be, and then that money should be distributed um, by the government, not in weird shadowy deals that we don't know anything about. That's Hal Crawford, Australian news executive who was the chief news officer at MediaWorks. Now he's a media consultant in Australia and an advisor to Facebook on the New Zealand media. And next weekend here on Media Watch, you can hear a chat with him about why he reckons our media are now less centrist than they used to be and are likely to be more ideologically divergent in the near future. We put the spotlight on today's mother of all protests, Groundswell NZ co-founder Bryce McKenzie, with his thoughts on how it might play out and why the group has been infiltrated by the, <laughs> the lunatic fringe. Act Party Agricultural Spokesperson Mark Cameron on why he'll be attending... That was Hamish Mackay, host of the Magic Talk Network's weekend rural show and podcast, Rural Exchange, or Rex as they like to call it. Last Sunday, that show was all about the Groundswell movement's tractors and utes coming to town again, in what they called the mother of all protests. And several times on the show, Hamish Mackay urged what he called the lunatic fringe to give it a swerve. All you hangers-oners, uh, I was going to use the word losers, that's probably a bit tough, isn't it? Um, uh, idiots. You, earlier in the morning you were using that term. Racists, uh, anti-vaxxers, please just stay away and let's, let's, let's just make this protest what it is meant to be about. OK, into it. But what the biggest nationwide protest in New Zealand for many years was actually all about wasn't always obvious from the media coverage of it, a fair bit of which did focus on the fringe elements and statements. And it was similar last time with the howl of protest, where off-message banners with slogans about communism, Tadeo, Trump and Jacinda Ardern all ended up getting noticed and amplified in the news. This time, Groundswell published a list of approved slogans to raise the tone and sharpen the focus, but the organisers and opposition politicians got racked up in advance when Government Minister Stuart Nash reportedly dismissed Groundswell as racists and anti-vaxxers. The ACT Party's primary production spokesperson Mark Cameron complained long and loud about that on last Sunday's Rex show and in Parliament. Sadly, Minister um, Nash's assertions were 
They were vacuous, they were asinine, they did nothing to actually address the problem. I think he should apologise. I think he should apologise to the tens of thousands of rural New Zealand farmers, small communities that have been asking to the government to have open and transparent dialogue, and that simply hasn't happened. So, And calls for an apology from the Minister, who was filling in for the absent Agriculture Minister Damien O'Connor, echoed through till last Wednesday on the Mike Hosking Breakfast on News Talk ZB. Now, do you want to apologise for your groundswell comments or not? Oh, come on, Mike. You're, you're better than that. You, you would have read the transcript and you would see that I, I absolutely did not call every farmer racist or an anti-vax. And Stuart Nash didn't actually do that, though possibly he was sheepdog whistling or something to those who don't really love the rural protest lobby. When asked by Acts Mark Cameron in Parliament last week if the government would consult with Groundswell on the rural regulations they oppose so strongly, Hansard records that the minister said... I'm not too sure what Groundswell stands for these days, and what I have read on their website, it's a mixture of racism, anti-vax, etc. On News Talk ZB, Stuart Nash clarified that what he had in mind was mainly a grotesque Facebook post about Nanaia Mahuta by one Groundswell organiser, who was also a dairy company director until his crude online activity was scrutinised last week. And last Wednesday, Stuart Nash risked explaining but losing with Mike Hosking. With your logic... Everything that appears on the News Talk ZB website and Facebook page reflects directly on me, which is simply not true. No, but I do think it reflects on ZB. And you'd agree with me, Mike. I mean, if you write an opinion piece on the ZB webpage, then that reflects ZB. And on and on it went, one minister, one opposition MP and a top radio talk host all arguing at length about one man's shabby racist trolling on social media during a pandemic. Now, this was grievous for Groundswell, though, who claimed that they wanted the focus to be on those rural regulations they say are unworkable. But the main Groundswell website head of the protest did urge users to take part by asking, have you had enough of your freedom and rights being taken away from you? And then it emerged that the mother of all protest website was set up by the Taxpayers' Union Lobby Group, which is also campaigning vigorously in the media against the government's Three Waters reforms. And when it was reported in advance that a counter-protest by climate activists Extinction Rebellion were planning to block the convoys, a local Wellington groundswell organiser said they should just stay home and watch Country Calendar repeats instead. And on Rural Exchange, co-host Richard Lowe had this handy advice. And yeah, I just, laughed. I just I laughed and I said, that'd be bloody silly, because I said, yeah, yeah. those tractors, <laughs> they are used to driving over rocks bigger than that and there wouldn't even be a bounce, would it? Uh, you know, yeah, no, so... no, I think the thing is, Lowe, the greater point is, we, and I re-stress it, no one wants to, anyone to get hurt because it, 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 it dilutes the message. We as farmers across the country, and I am one, even though I spend a lot of my time now down in Wellington, want the government to to open the channels of dialogue to address the concern. And in the end, no one was hurt in the mother of all protests, and there was minimal agrarian aggro on the day or urban antagonism in response. But while the rural exchange hosts were backing the protest personally, so too was the host of the rival radio network's show The Country, Jamie Mackay, in advance, and News Talk ZB itself seemed to be backing it too. They've chosen a Sunday, Heather. It's good for News Talk ZB, our station, because... They're going to drive into town on their tractors and utes and they're going to roll down the windows and play a pre-recorded message on Newstalk ZB uh, for 90 seconds and then stand there in, in solidarity. 
but it's normally wall-to-wall sports talk on ZB on a Sunday afternoon, and last weekend the Lions were running hot with grumpy All Blacks fans. Do you think the rest of the world's catching up, Jerry? Oh, bloody hope. Oh, yeah, big time. Big time. So was Groundswell really taking over the ZB output on Sunday, as well as the main drags of our towns and cities? Not quite. It was in one ad break at about half past one that this advert played. The following is a paid advertisement on behalf of Groundswell New Zealand. Thank you all for joining us here today in a show of strength and unity. We remind you that you need to stay in your vehicles and comply with government COVID-19 protocols at all times. Kiwis are common sense, hardworking, practical and reasonable people. Now that went on to demand an end to those unworkable regulations until genuine consultation takes place. And on Rural Exchange, this was the message from Groundswell founder Bryce McKenzie as well. But a couple of weeks back on News Talk ZB, the country's host Jamie Mackay said that while July's howl of protest worked, he wasn't quite so keen on this one. I greeted with almost universal support right around the country and got great support in urban New Zealand. Uh, the Can You Hear Us campaign in the August lockdown fell flat. And I think this one is in danger of doing exactly that. And they're in danger of undoing some of their good work because I think... You know, Aucklanders who have spent 10 weeks in lockdown aren't going to be that sympathetic to farmers moaning about regulations because those farmers are also getting on with their life and they're also getting record returns on farms. So, look, I, I, yeah. It won't be 10 weeks by then, it'll be 14 as well. Jamie, thank you so much. Jamie Mackay, host of the country. And on the morning of the protest last Sunday, Rural Exchange's hosts on Magic Talk made that same point. Richard Lowe's merinos were fetching a tidy sum and he went on to say he'll be down in the Marlborough Sounds for Christmas and New Year for a bit of fishing. Nice. And to end the show, Richard Lowe asked this question. We'd better close on something. Uh, Do you have a tractor and will you be taken along later on this afternoon? Uh, no, I don't have a tractor, and I definitely won't be taking anything anywhere. Um, I don't necessarily engage in protests because I would rather put energy into finding a solution. Great, I love it. I love it. Planning about the future. But not only was the Rural Exchange Show's regular guest, NZX Analytics head Julie Jones, not joining the mother of all protests on a tractor, she thought the whole thing was a waste of time and energy. You can't protest against natural change. Yeah. So we all think this is government regulation, but it's actually societal change. So you're not going to magically stop change by protesting against it. This has nothing to do with the government. Let's not give them too much credit. It's literally society is changing. The world is shifting. The government has not communicated well and supported the changes, but we cannot blame regulation for this, and you cannot protest against natural change in the world. Put your energy into better things, like working together on solutions. Moving with the times, working together on solutions. You are a gem, Julia Jones. And few in the rural media were prepared to say that the mother of all protests was against progress or that the tsunami of regulations wasn't really the issue. Groundswell's founder, Bryce McKenzie, also told Rural Exchange explicitly that what they want is the regulation stalled, and he said it on that statement also that was broadcast live during the rally on News Talk ZB, which ended like this. If the government is not forthcoming in addressing these issues, we call on all New Zealanders to join our protest in Wellington in February next year. We say enough is enough. We now ask all participants to disperse and go home in a peaceful manner. Find out more at groundswellnz.co.nz. And the following day, RNZ's midday rural news led with that we'll be back angle. Kia ora Sally and Groundswell says it will organise another bigger protest. Tell us more. 
Kia ora mani, that's right. Organisers say they'll march outside Parliament next year in order to get the government's attention. Angry farmers, or kaipamu, took to the streets yesterday in their utes and tractors to protest against regulations they say are unworkable. It's the second protest organised by Groundswell, but the government has refused to meet with the group. Organiser Bryce McKenzie says it's frustrating the government is not taking notice of their concerns. Bryce McKenzie went on to say that consultation was just lip service, but the government's response on RNZ News was this. A spokesperson for the Agriculture Minister's office says the Prime Minister and senior cabinet ministers meet regularly with official rural sector groups. But just moments later, this news on a big bugbear for Groundswell, the clean car discount or so-called ute tax. Federated Farmers has driven home its views on the so-called ute tax in a submission to Parliament's Transport and Infrastructure Select Committee. The Clean Vehicles Amendment Bill will set up the framework for a fee-bait scheme for imported vehicles based on their carbon emissions. That means those buying EVs will be rewarded, while fees will have to be paid on new combustion engine vehicles. Federated Farmers Vice President Karen Williams says the bill is unfair because there's no realistic EV alternative to the ute currently available. And that does sound a lot like actual consultation at work. Now farming is of course a huge industry with well-resourced umbrella groups and lobbying and farmers own the biggest company in the country, Fonterra, which also has huge clout. On scoop.co.nz, Gordon Campbell pointed that out and also that Groundswell has emerged at a time when public displays of discontent are back in vogue. A hissy fit arms race seems to be happening out there. Some of the disgruntled appear to be intent on outdoing one another in performative acts of rage. But while that means it's easier to mobilise an anti-government crowd right now, Gordon Campbell pointed out that it might actually make it the wrong time to try and have many varied rural voices heard. As we heard there, some at the mother of all protests last weekend reckoned that our metropolitan media have it in for farmers and rural communities, and it was the same at their howl of protest back in July. And as we heard on Media Watch the weekend before last, anti-vaccination and anti-mandate protesters didn't like the media much either, and some loudly insisted that increased public funding of the media under this government means that the media's compliance has been bought. That's something also that some former journalists and opposition politicians have been saying lately as well. Meanwhile, other people have criticised our mainstream media for giving too much exposure to people who are challenging the COVID response and vaccine mandates. Hayden Donnell took a look at some local coverage of health and education workers who have fallen foul of the vaccine mandates and the effect of that reporting in Midweek Media Watch this week. And while he was at it, he also looked at a veteran journalist who's certainly doing his best to challenge the Prime Minister in her press conferences at the expense of the goodwill of his colleagues and peers in the press gallery. One quick question uh, Barry, about Barry, TVs are on deadlines as well. Jessica, and so did you. Barry, I'm going to ask for a little decorum. Jessica, and then Barry. And if you missed Midweek Media Watch, it's on the Media Watch page of the RNZ website for you, our section of the RNZ app, or you can get it in our podcast feed. 
Now, our mainstream media outlets do insist that they cover the news fairly and objectively, especially crucial issues like COVID, and they say they do take account of a broad range of opinions and comment. But while the media and individual journalists are getting used to increasingly shrill claims of political bias and conflicts of interest from their critics, Massey University researchers are currently trying to find out what really does influence and motivate New Zealand's journalists in the biggest survey of its kind yet undertaken. It's part of the Global Worlds of Journalism study, which is conducted roughly every five years, and it's the first scientifically robust global picture of how journalists around the world see their work and how journalism is conducted around the world. The survey is completely anonymous. You won't be asked for your name or any identifying details, and for no purposes will any individual data be retained or published, the survey's authors say. So to take the opportunity, you'll find an online link to the survey on the MediaWatch page of the RNZ website. Just look for the title, Worlds of Journalism Study, or contact Massey University's Journalism Department. And finally on Media Watch this weekend, last weekend I filled in for Jim Mora on Sunday morning here on RNZ National at the end of a week in which RNZ celebrated 100 years of radio broadcasting and its future as a powerful medium. And I spoke to RNZ's Chief Executive Paul Thompson about that last Sunday and folded that into the Media Watch podcast. Check back on that if you missed it. But there was an awkward moment or two in that chat, seeing as Paul Thompson had declared radio a medium in long-term decline soon after he took the RNZ top job eight years ago and then spearheaded a move last year to take RNZ Concert off FM. But he stuck to his guns about the future of radio being multimedia in the digital age. Think audio, not just radio, he told us. And that was pretty much the message from British radio consultant James Cridland in his conversation with Kim Hill the morning before that on RNZ National. He launched the world's first streaming radio smartphone app in 2005 and then worked on the BBC's online on-demand iPlayer. But he was a bit taken aback by Kim Hill's interpretation of his later career. Good morning, Kim. It's great to be here. I feel like you started the erosion of radio as a standalone medium with that kind of CV? Oh my, there's a, there's a swinging accusation. Uh, I guess it depends what you call radio, of course. And in his weekly newsletter this week, James Cridlin said he was pretty startled to be accused of killing the medium. The rather combative interview rather encircled around that point for 22 minutes, and it seemed to be the radio equivalent of an old man yelling at a cloud. Now, there's nothing wrong with a bit of tension, one of the things that live radio thrives on, in fact, and it wasn't really that combative an interview after that. But James Cridland went on to tell his subscribers this. Interviews about radio on the radio rarely go well. It's hard to know where to pitch the conversation to keep it interesting to the interviewer, who's also an expert, and the audience, who aren't. Well, here at Media Watch, we were thinking, tell us about it, that's the problem we have every week. But if the inexpert audience is interested and engaged in the media, well, you've got a big head start. And that interview with James Cridland was much more fun to listen to than he thought, especially when it got to whether on-demand listening, made possible by the internet, actually does undermine the shared experience of live radio broadcasting, which gave the medium its awesome power in the first place. Yeah, I, I don't know, it just gets a bit shifty, doesn't it? If you define radio as human connection with with a shared what? With a shared experience. Yeah. Because many, many people are enjoying this show at the same time, yeah. Well, up to a point. And among the feedback for Kim Hill last weekend were comments like this. Radio New Zealand says, Linda, 
Please don't change until I'm dead. I'm 62. All right, thanks for the information, Linda. Let us know when the time is right. But James Cridland's point was that while many people, most even, still do listen live to radio, the time spent listening, or TSL in the trade, is going down because of the plethora of other options. And James Cridland reckoned that's partly radio broadcasters' fault. Radio companies have given up trying to look after them and have given up trying to actually give programming which is of interest to younger audiences. But also part of that is just due to the fact that there is so much choice out there for great audio content that it doesn't necessarily need to come from a live AMFM radio anymore. But in his weekly newsletter this week, James Cridland also said it isn't necessarily so. And even young people these days are more likely to tune into news and talk radio, partly because of the pandemic. Lock people in their homes and they don't listen to more music radio, it turns out. They want to listen to human beings. And that was also his parting thought in last weekend's chat with Kim Hill. We saw much more consumption of radio and especially much more consumption of news talk radio uh, as people wanted to reconnect with the world outside. And I think that's something for our mental health that radio is a tremendous part of. And it's not just in this part of the world that that's happening under pandemic conditions. In his newsletter this week, James Cridland said that seven years' worth of research recently released by the NPR network in the US has found that younger people are listening to more spoken word. James Cridlin said the study showed a quarter of people aged between 13 and 34 were listening to spoken word audio, twice as many as the same study in 2014. And so... Spoken word should be where we excel, even if it's spoken word between two songs. This should be a real opportunity for radio, but it does look as if we may be squandering it. Interesting thoughts there from a guy who, Kim Hill reckoned, could have had a hand in killing radio with online on-demand options. Well, that's all we have for you in Media Watch this weekend, but we'll be back again with Midweek Media Watch at about 10.30 next Wednesday night on The Lately Show with Karen Hay, and then back again with more Media Watch at the same time next weekend here on RNZ National.